0: Gonna rock the shade. Gonna scream my name. Make you shout now, honey. gonna make you shout.
1: Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascened.org is the place for you. For the music fan We bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.
0: You shout, gonna scream my name, make you shout now, honey. Gonna make you shout, make you shout, make you
1: shout. And now. Here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Sweet Undertow. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. You got
2: a kiss that tastes like a pistol. <laughs> Let my fingers breathe around your shoulder and blade. <laughs> your leather coat close to your back. so hot, you just my choice, you make the rain get bling, you make the rain get bling, oh you're burning, you're, you're gonna dance till the storm is done, what's it? I got the fire, sweet baby Come on and play with me
1: That was Sweet Undertow from their brand new release. And we got Eddie on the line right now. Hey, Eddie, how you doing?
3: Hey, hey, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. How are you? I'm
1: doing well. Now, this is the first time you've been on our show. And we always like to get things rolling by giving our fans this opportunity to get to know who you are as an artist. And the best way to do that is through your journey. So give us the story of Sweet Undertow.
3: Yeah, so um, I've been sort of traveling all over the world for a long time and uh, not really living anywhere in particular, and I kind of landed in San Francisco, and um, I've been playing in bands, but I hadn't really been writing, Um, and when I arrived here, I didn't know anybody and I didn't have, like, sort of a fixed place to live exactly. So I was kind of bouncing around and at night I would want some place to like practice and play and sort of, you know, explore a little bit. And so I'd find these little dark corners of the city where there was nobody around and just sort of, you know, play into the night a little bit. And that's where a lot of these songs started pouring out. And ultimately it was turned into the record that's coming out, um, Skeletal Machine.
1: Okay. Now, you know, every artist has that moment in their life where they could have chosen several directions. They could have been an accountant, but Mm. they chose music music as as a um, career path. What was that turning point moment for you, that crossroad moment, where you knew music was the career that you wanted?
3: Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I'd been playing and sort of, you know, exploring a lot of different things. And I was living in Singapore and I was, um, I was doing different stuff. I was studying for some, some classes at the school there. And at night I met this dude who, um, he, he had this partnership with this barbecue joint and I would go up there and hang out with him and, you know, play some old Hank Williams tunes and that kind of thing. And it just kind of, I couldn't stop. It was like, um, I don't think people choose to get addicted to drugs. It just sort of happens, right? Yeah. And so I think um, it's the same kind of story. Like, there's not a lot of... Um, if you're looking at it in terms of like, you know, does it make the most sense to be an accountant? The answer is like, yeah, if everyone is kind of a robot, um, it makes the most sense to do things that like require the least amount of effort that pay the most dough. But um, but the world isn't like that, and people aren't like that. And so I, I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about the new release you're you're putting out now. When you were putting this together. What was your goal for this? What were you looking to achieve?
3: My goal for this was to sort of excise these songs from my head that we've been playing out and just sort of be rid of them. Okay. Like a... I think a pregnant woman can enjoy being pregnant and can, you know, find a lot of meaning in it, but ultimately she wants the baby to be born usually. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like, I felt so full with these songs that, um, I just needed to get them out and like be purged of them. And, uh, that was sort of a lot of where this record
1: came from. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about you as a songwriter. Um, yeah. When you sit down and you begin that process of writing a song, what is your mechanism that allows you to kind of tap into that muse?
0: Mm.
3: Mm. It helps if it's really late at night uh, and it's quiet, and the whole world is quiet um And usually, like, uh, I mean, I'm always kind of scribbling a little bit here and there. Like, I'll be walking down the street and some passing thought will come into mind, and I'll, like, take a note on my phone or something. Um, But, you know, it'll get to be late at night and I'll sit down and usually I'll have, like, either my notebook in front of me and, like, really thinking about an idea um, or a feeling. Uh, Or uh, I like to write on an unplugged electric guitar. Um, And I'll just be sitting there for like a long time kind of playing around with an idea or just sort of letting the music flow out. And then something will like catch me, you know? And then it'll build off of that. That's to to get started.
1: Okay. Now, you know, I always look at lyric and melody as... Two different functions of the brain lyrics being kind of very structured in that you need to have a story there's continuity there's meter there's rhyme and melody is different it's it's a different function of the brain and you know some songwriters like to work off of just a groove allow that melody to free form while others take a lyric and the cadence kind of dictates where that melody should go what's kind of your go-to when you start looking for melodies
3: Mm, yeah that's a good question i uh it's the part that i kind of think least about and just feel the most okay right so um when i'm you know working on lyrics you know, there's a lot of stuff that flows out. A lot of stuff I'm just sort of painting around, and then um, you know, scraping away at. Uh, and then, with regards to sort of like the broader structure of a tune, like uh, and the you know basic progressions of it, um, you know, that has some more intentionality to it. Whereas, like the um, the melody, particularly the vocal melody, um, almost always I just feel it.
1: That okay. comes
3: out and that's it <laughs> <laughs> Okay.
1: now you know every songwriter has that moment where they have to put that pen down and they have to declare the song done or at least <clears throat> done enough that they can give it to the band they can give it to the producer you know and take it to the studio and, and begin that next phase of its life in the production end of things what do you mm. do to determine when that, when a song is ready to go to that next phase?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's a, it's a mix of um, reason and feeling. And um, what, I, what I find kind of fun to do is to, like, every once in a while go back and listen to, like, earlier demos of change and see how differently I'm playing them out now versus how I was playing them um, during you know an earlier stage of the process where I hadn't played them out yet. Um, and they're always a little bit different, like the phrasing or some small elements of it. Um, I think the, the, the longer answer to the question would be um, have I sat with it for a long time and just played it toward the wall and see what the wall said, you know? <laughs> And then, uh, you know, play it with the band, see how it feels there. Um, Try playing it out, maybe play it out solo, play it out with the band. Really, really try and understand the song and try and strip away all the little pieces of rock that are outside of it, right? I mean, uh, to to me, it's like um, uh, one of the things that I find helpful to think about is not like I am sitting and writing a song. But more like there is this song and I'm trying to understand what it is. And it it helps me because, and you know, um, it may sound trite, but it helps me because it helps me strip away my ego and be able to hear like somebody else saying, like, oh, what if we did this? Or like if I'm playing the song and there's a part of it that doesn't work, I don't have to feel bad about it. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean. Now, uh, having a good song is only half the equation. You need to kind of go into the studio and give it its identity. And every artist has their sound that they kind of identifies them as an artist. When you go into that environment of the studio, what is kind of your working process that allows you to kind of capture the sound you're looking for?
3: under the studio, there's a couple of things to, um, to keep in mind. One is that like studio-studio time costs a lot of dough. So we have to kind of work around that constraint. So there's a time constraint associated with being in like, the studio with a capital S. Um, now, in terms of what the sound I'm trying to create is, what I like to do is to keep it old school, and to try and do as much of the basic tracking as possible playing live as a band. I just think it feels better. I think that, you know, there's too much artifice in music production that's come about because it's you know, it's easier to make it like perfect. Whereas the you know, there's this point where in perfection and sterility sort of merge in my mind. And so, like, I want it to sound real. I want it to sound like it's actually musicians playing musical instruments, which is what it is. And so, like, I try and get as much as possible of us playing together in the studio.
1: Okay. Now, um, tell me a little bit about the lineup on this. Who's playing?
3: Yeah. Um, So the the core four uh, is me is my guitar player, Jim Sametacko. Um, bass player, John Ekstrom, and my drummer, Dave Table. Okay. And they're good boys.
1: Now, um, of course, once you get something recorded, you have to put together a team in order to get it out there. In order to get it to radio, you got to get it to press, you got to create mm. the buzz. And you're working with Patty DeVries from Devious Planet. Tell me a little bit about that relationship.
3: Oh, man. Yeah. She's been... She's awesome. (laughs) Uh, You know, she came at it from the approach of, like, um, who are you, what are you trying to accomplish? She came at it from the perspective of liking the music and getting what we're trying to do. And, um, you know, she she helped us to communicate it out to the world and break through some of the noise that, like, hey, this is happening.
1: Okay. Now, um... Let's talk a little bit about the industry. Over the last 25, 30 years, the industry has really gone through several upheavals at the at the feet of the digital revolution. Uh, and now the consumer has embraced streaming as a way to consume music. Um, and they, they, I mean, not only are they consuming it differently, but they're also listening differently. It's not like, you know, in the days when I was listening... It was a very tactile experience. It was something that you involved yourself in. Today, people are creating soundtracks and playlists and, you know, basically, you know, creating a soundtrack for their yoga playlist or their, you know, their driving home playlist or whatever the case may be. But one of the offshoots of this new revolution in, in how people are, are consuming music is that the consumer no longer looks at recorded music as a product. It's not something to buy anymore, it's, it's a service. They expect it on their phone. If they hear about an artist, they go immediately on Spotify, they look them up. If they don't find the artist, they just basically discount that person as not being viable and they move on. If they do <coughs> find the artist, they end up, you know, Picking the songs they like, putting in their playlist, whatever it may be, and you know, then moving on from that point. How has this shift in perception by the art, by the consumer affected you as an artist?
3: That's a great question. I think there's a lot to unpack. Uh, so, on one hand, um, one of the things that's good about it which I think is always a good place to start, is that um, it used to be the case that there was this bottleneck between people who were playing music and then having the ability to record that music in any meaningful way. So recording music has gotten way cheaper and way more accessible than it was perhaps in the 60s, right? Um, and then even up until the 90s. So... Um, so that's really important, and then in addition to that, um, access to the music itself has gotten a lot easier, um, which is which is something of a double edged sword. But I don't I'm happy to talk about why I think that is, but uh, it's way more accessible. You don't have to like live near a cool record store uh, to be able to like hear music that's like interesting and compelling and meaningful. Um, you can just pull it up out of your pocket, which is, like, in a lot of ways, really incredible. Now, the flip side of that is that um, instead of having to make a sacrifice of, like, a trip and hard-earned money um, and time spent, you know, to listen to one individual record, now, um, because it costs less, it is in turn devalued in some ways. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it, it's not only that it costs less, but it's actually, you know, has little to no value because you don't even have to, you know, subscribe to Spotify to listen. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of free at this point. Um, and you know, it's the whole idea the the amount of revenue that independent artists get from Spotify um, is so small if you really look at it as a in in, in the context of a business model it's not sustainable <clears throat> we cannot continue to compensate independent artists at such a small uh, price point. That they can mm-hmm. no longer afford to go into the studio and create new product if you look at these streaming outlets a bulk of their content that they depend on comes from independent artists if we mm-hmm. don't change how the compensation is you know uh, uh, distributed then these artists no longer can t- can continue you know to uh, invest in recorded projects without at least getting a break-even point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what do you think? No, is the- totally. Uh, to to kind of change that dynamic. Uh,
3: yeah, and I, I think to start out with, we're seeing a lot of the results of it, which is it turns into uh, a race to the bottom of like the most anodyne, uh, accessible. quotation marks around that music that, um, that earns the most streams. It gets pushed the hardest and like, you know, there are, there are plenty of artists who are making a bunch of money off of streaming, but they're also making money off of their, you know, songs being in McDonald's commercials. Um, it's like the biggest names out there, uh, who, in my opinion, their music sucks anyway. So it's like, whatever, but, um, in terms of different models for, um, you know, either sharing revenue from streaming or, or something else, there's a ton of ideas out there. There's a ton of different ways that you could do it. Um, it just requires, um, uh, a group of people who are able to like work hard, work together, get lucky. And put the pieces in place to make it happen. Those include things like um, subsidies, you know, subsidized musicians. Right. Those include things like um, uh, regulation of streaming revenue and payouts, um, or like uh, something where um, more revenue from you know, basically just taking revenue from one area that's being way too concentrated and and making that more democratized. And the whole system is built on different ways of doing that from like, um, you know, why we have schools and roads, that kind of thing.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned uh, subsidies uh, for musicians because up in Canada they have the Factor program which is a granting program that musicians can apply for to pay for, you know, going into the studio, creating a tour, doing the marketing, all of those things can be incorporated into this grant. Uh, and, you know, once you get this grant that you go, you know, you put out your product and it, it takes some of the sting out of it. But even that is extremely difficult to get and I don't think that it's viable for the amount of of artists that are out there. Uh I think, you know, um, looking at the the music business as a whole and saying, "Okay, what can we do to change this um this um, business model?" And one of the things that I've been watching is this whole movement towards um a decentralized music industry. Where you take out all of these middlemen, all of these labels, all of these aggregators. You know, I I read this article in Billboard where they they basically said that um, of all the billions of dollars that the music industry uh, generates, only 12% of that income actually makes it to the artists. And that includes the big ones. So there is a lot of people out there in this industry with their hands out getting a much larger piece of the pie than they should be. Uh, and one of the things that is looking to combat that is this world of uh, blockchain-based streaming services um, that are basically a decentralized system where you are, it's more a connection between the fan and the artist they're controlling the the uh, streaming service and the fans kind of run the network with their nodes and the artists you know generate the income which pay for the nodes but also pays for their you know pays them and they're saying you know that that they can pay up to 80 percent of the incoming revenue back to the artist which is a huge uh, change in, uh, in revenue stream for independent artists. Uh, what do you think of that as a potential future for the industry? Sign me up. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, they're, they're, it's out there right now. I mean, audius.co, uh, Eminate, mm-hmm. uh, they're up and running right now, and you can put your music up on there for nothing. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything to get your music on uh, Audius. Um, just sign up for their account, get a you know, upload your stuff, and get a player for your phone, and you're you're mm. rocking and rolling. You know, sweet. I'll take that. Okay. Now. Uh, another thing that i noticed in the industry is this really accelerated move towards content creation and social media marketing i think the pandemic really kind of jump-started this world because when everyone stopped touring they had to do something and they started to uh, do live streams they started to utilize social media to not only put up their music, I mean, and they're not promoting shows anymore, you know, come to my show, come to my show over and over again. But they started to put up content that was not directly related to the music, but kind of gave their fans this inside reality show type look into their lives. And I think the fans really invested themselves into that kind of content where the brand has become the new product and social media and content is the way that, that artists are branding themselves. Uh yeah. what are some of the things that you're doing right now that's helping you and your brand with this new product you have?
3: Yeah. Um, no, I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Like a lot of the way that people, um, even think about um, musicians and, and songwriters and artists and all that stuff is just through the lens of their their social media. And and we're doing it too, you know, we, we're um, posting stuff all over the giant. And it's, you know, it, it's a channel through which I can reach um, people who are engaged, people who care, uh, to come to shows, to listen to new tunes that we put out, um, to... You know, help them understand what we're trying to accomplish and and be a part of it too, Because, you know um, i mean i'll I'll happily like gripe about the state of a lot of stuff, but um right now, like yeah spotify youtube all the all the social media channels like they're a core part of how I'm able to get music in front of people who like. Who would benefit from it? Who would find meaning in it? And like, um, yeah, I think to me that like, um, if it were the world, if I I lived in a world where I could literally just sit and stare at the wall and play music all day, like, yeah, that would be one thing. Or just go play shows. um, Yeah, I wouldn't have to spend so much time like making posts and stuff or like dealing with all that but um, but no I get it I mean I get it I understand it I I understand why it's important
1: Okay. well you know I I really appreciate you coming on the show and and talking with us it's been a real pleasure to have you on and we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release Uh, you guys should uh, definitely turn it up loud you know what screw those neighbors we're going to have some fun tonight
3: (laughs) thank you so much
2: My body, ball for your floor. That's where I poured it the night before. Morning comes, like it always does. Well, ain't nothing been the same since the war. been with. So let me down
1: that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the indie revolution.
0: Shout now on